Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Daniel chapter 9. Now that is one of my favorite movie series, Lord of the Rings. And in the second movie, The Two Towers, the city where they are, the keep, is about to be swarmed by an enemy army that is impossible for them to fight off on their own. But this is their last stand, their last effort to fight off the, the army. Aragorn tells the king, send out for aid. Ask people to come and help you. And he answered and said, who is going to help us? We don't have the support like you have the support. And he said, well, Gondor will help you. And he says, where were they when this happened? Where were they when this happened? Where were they when this happened? They're not going to help us. We are all on our own. When things go on in the world, I'm sure there's people saying, where is the church? We are all on our own. Daniel chapter 9. Verse 1. And the first year of Darius, the son of Asherah, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, and the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books of the number of the years, whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes, and I prayed unto the Lord my God. So what happened? Daniel was spending time reading the word of God. He is the prime minister of the nation. He's in charge under the king. And as he's reading the word of God, he's reading the book of Jeremiah, and he understands that after 70 years, Israel's supposed to return to their land. 70 years has passed, and it hasn't happened yet. So Daniel sees in the word a promise that belongs to him and his nation, but it hasn't manifested yet, so he goes to pray. He begins to pray about what he sees in the word. He set himself to pray for the answer and the manifestation of the promise. And what happened as he prayed? Verse 20. Daniel says, And while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man, the angel Gabriel, whom I had seen the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation or the sacrifice. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give you skill and understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. So Gabriel goes on to explain things to him concerning what's about to happen in Israel and the end of time. But notice that as soon as Daniel prayed, an angel was released. As soon as Daniel opened his mouth to pray, he hasn't even finished his prayer yet. An angel was already sent to assist him. As soon as the church begins to pray, angels are released. Go ahead and play clip two for me. It doesn't take a long time for the first legion to go out. As soon as you pray, things begin to change. Reinforcements show up to help them, right? 
As soon as you begin to pray, reinforcements are released. But those reinforcements are not enough to win that battle. How many times are things happening in people's lives, our community, our city, and our nation because we stopped praying too soon? We prayed once. We prayed for our leader once. We prayed for a circumstance in our community once. Angels were released, but it wasn't enough to get the job done because we stopped praying too soon. Play clip three for me. We prayed and angels were released. But did we pray enough considering that assignment the Lord has given us in prayer? Look at Daniel chapter 10. Verse 1. And the third year Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. And the thing was true, but the time appointed was long. And he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. So what happens? He is praying and fasting for three weeks. And as he's praying one day, verse 5 says, he lifts up his eyes and looked, and it describes his angelic being. It talks about what he's dressed like and the glory of God upon him. It says he's the only one who saw it, but everyone around him knew something was going on, and they all began to shake, and they ran and hid themselves. Because he was left alone and saw this great vision, and he had no strength left in him. But verse 9 says, yet heard I the voice of his words. And when I heard the voice of his words, then I was like a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. It was overpowered by the glory of God. And behold, a hand touched me, which set me up upon my knees and upon the palm of my hands. You know, people get excited when people are slain in the spirit. Wait till the Holy Ghost picks them back up again. And he said unto me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto you and stand upright. For unto you I am now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then he said unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day, say first day, that you did set your heart to understand and to chasten yourself before your God. Your words were heard, and I am come for your words. So as soon as Daniel prayed, this angelic being was released to assist him. But why did it take three weeks? Why wasn't there a change before? Most Christians would have given up by now. I prayed for a couple weeks, and nothing has changed. Verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia, it's not talking about a physical prince. It's talking about a demonic principality in power. Withstood me or fought against me 21 days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, an angelic prince, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. So the reason the answer was delayed to Daniel wasn't because God didn't want him to have it, not because God didn't want him to have breakthrough, it's because Satan stepped in to try to resist what God wanted done. And if Daniel did not persevere in prayer, he would have never had his answer. But because he kept praying, another angel was released to do battle so that this angelic being was released to minister unto Daniel. Verse 20 says, then said he, knowest thou wherefore I come unto you? And now I return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I'm gone, lo, the prince of Greece shall come. But I will show you that which is noted in the scripture of truth. And there is none, say none, none. 
that holds with me in these things, but Michael, your prince. So only these two angels are fighting off the principalities over Persia and then eventually Greece. Just two. Why was there two? Because one man was praying. That lets you know others weren't. Well, why are things going on in our world? There is a prayerless church. We talked about in the month of August, the art of war. We talked about how spiritual warfare, what it is, what it's not, and how it affects your everyday life. And we see this in a dramatic example in the book of Daniel. But because Daniel persevered in prayer, Michael was released to help this angelic being. How many situations in people's lives in our community, in our nation exist because the church stops praying too soon? Or worse, doesn't pray at all. What would happen if the church prayed? What would happen if the church persevered in prayer like Daniel? Just because you don't see an answer right now doesn't mean you give up. You keep praying. I believe before God there are some people who've earned this hashtag, yet he persisted, yet she persisted. Even when it looked like they were about to lose, like nothing was ever going to change, yet they persisted in prayer and things changed. You have to have perseverance. You have to pray through the distractions. You have to pray when everything looks like it will never change. You have to believe that no matter how long it takes me in my place of prayer, I will receive the answer that I'm after. Go ahead and play clip four for me. We give up too soon in prayer. We must press in prayer. Here's what happens if people persevere in prayer. Church perseveres in prayer Heavenly reinforcements are unleashed. If you keep praying, everything that needs to be released for a victory to happen in people's lives and their community and their city and their nation will happen if the church keeps on praying. Not praying once, not praying weak prayers. Well, God bless them and leave it at that. Take in your place of prayer we've talked about for the last 30 days and standing in that place and praying out the perfect will of God. Will we leave our communities alone? Will we leave our city, our state, our nation alone and just wait for the rapture? It's like, come on, Jesus, just come and get us. We try to treat the rapture like it's a black ops mission, like Jesus is going to sneak in, take us out, and go to be with glory. Jesus is not coming for a church that is backslidden or a church that is hiding in a cave, a church that's defeated, a church that's under the foot of the devil. He's coming back for a victorious church that is full of glory, full of power, causing things to change on the earth. But in order to be that, we must be a praying church. So if you see things happening in your community, you see something happening in your neighborhoods, well, I don't like what's going on in my neighborhood, why don't you stop it? How much have you prayed about it? Things move into your neighborhood, to your community, to your apartment complex. You know it's wrong, but you don't have any type of thing in the natural to deal with it. How much are you praying for that family, for those people, for that person? One of the things I talked about on Wednesday night is you should have somebody you are praying for every day that doesn't know God. Or that's far from God. You may not even know them personally. They could be at your kid's school. They could be someone you work with. There's someone you see in the neighborhood. You don't have a personal relationship with them. But you can say, Father, I lift that person up to you. I know they need you. And you pray for them in the spirit every day. We must be praying people. Will you send your aid and yield your supply of the spirit? 
so that victory can be realized in the lives of families, of your neighbors, of your coworkers, your community, and this nation. David said about himself in Psalm 109 that he gave himself to prayer, and we must give ourselves to prayer. We must be so consumed with prayer that it becomes our identity like it did with David. He said, I am prayer. Do you pray enough where you can be identified as prayer? Or they looked at your life, well, I pray sometimes. I pray when I'm in trouble. I pray over my food if I'm not too hungry. Is it just a religious exercise or something you do as an afterthought? Or is it part of your identity and your lifestyle? In our 40 days of prayer, we have used a two-fold working definition of prayer. We said prayer is communication with God, and prayer is working with God. Prayer is communication with God, and prayer is working with God. There is a side of prayer when you, where you are communicating to God, and another side where God is working through your prayers. So let's look at what happens when the church prays and sends aid. We saw what happened when a man in the Old Testament persevered in prayer. But what happens when New Testament saints pray? Saints who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, who have the Holy Ghost upon them within them. What happens when they get together and pray? If one man standing on the Word, standing in prayer, can get two angels released to do battle for national identity, what happens when the church prays? How did the church in Acts call in reinforcements? How did they pray? Let's go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. It lists the 11 apostles. Then it says in verse 14, These all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brethren. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, The number of names together were about 120. So what were these 120 people doing? Praying. Jesus said, wait, to me, wait for me until I pour out the Spirit. And so they wait. It only takes 10 days. And they meet every day and they pray. Now, not everybody came to this prayer meeting. How do I know that? We learn from Paul's writings that Jesus appeared to over 500 people after he was risen from the dead. But only 120 people bothered enough to show up to the prayer meeting. See, I can say, hey, we're having a special time of prayer. You have a small group that comes out. It happens in every church. Jesus himself told them, I need y'all to go and pray. And a small group showed up. But those who show up get blessed. So they're praying. They're in unity. They're in prayer. What happens? Chapter 2, verse 1, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They persevered in prayer, and there was an outpouring of the Spirit of God. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to pray in the Holy Ghost, speaking other tongues. Gifts of the Spirit begin to manifest. People begin to hear them praising God in their own language. They begin to stagger around like drunk people. Because when you get filled with the Holy Ghost, there's no negative hangovers. 
You don't have to come up with some hangover concoction to make yourself presentable at work the next day. When you get filled with the Holy Ghost, the only results are blessing and joy. They're so filled with joy. People say they must be drinking. Peter says they're not drinking. It's only 9 a.m. That means nothing today, but back then it meant something. Verse 16, he says, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. On my servants and my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. There was a reinforcement of power that came when the early church prayed. See, so many people need alcohol to nurse and get them through life. Well, I do have news for you. This life was never meant for you to go through sober. You need either the Holy Ghost or whatever you can come up with. Because what happens if you always live on whatever you can come up with, it'll get to a point where that's not enough. So you have to keep adding to it. And you keep adding to it. So you keep drinking. You keep drinking. You keep drinking. But it's not enough. So then you start smoking and smoking and smoking. But that's not enough. Then you start sniffing. You start sniffing. You start sniffing. That's not enough. Then you inject and then you OD and you're dead. And people go, I don't know how this happened to them. And then they're trying to do a GoFundMe to raise enough for your funeral because you weren't prepared. See, I'm a pastor. I get into everything. Oh, yeah. And so... You're not prepared because you didn't live your life and schedule life right, and you couldn't handle what you were facing, so you turned to things that destroyed your body. And now your family that's left has to pay for your mistakes. Instead of being a blessing, because the Bible says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Instead of leaving an inheritance, you're like that old song, you left them debt. You left them loans. But I have news for you, child of God. You don't have to cope with life through the drink. You don't have to smoke weed to cope with life. You don't have to do any drugs to cope with life. If you're a child of God, you have the Holy Ghost on the inside of you. And if you tap into him, he will strengthen you. He will help you because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You don't have to take another drink. You don't have to smoke anything else because you have the Holy Spirit and he is stronger and he will cause you to overcome no matter what you face. Anybody be in here say, well, I'm not saved, I'm not a child of God, but I got good news. Today is the day of salvation. We'll get you saved today, and we'll break the power of alcohol off of you. You can't stop drinking, we'll break it off, and you'll hate alcohol from this day forward. Why? He's the Holy Ghost. Why is this power available? Jesus sent him, and this church has been praying. You can be free today. Go to chapter 4. So when the church gathered together in unity and persevered in prayer, there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Satan attacks. He uses people to threaten Peter and John, tells them, don't you preach no more in that name of Jesus. That name causes trouble. The religious authority thought they were done with this Jesus business. They killed him. But then he raised from the dead. They heard the reports of the soldiers, and they paid the soldiers off to go and tell everybody that you fell asleep, and the disciples came and stole the body, and we'll protect you if the Roman government gets involved. 
So they think we have handled it. Jesus may be alive. Something may have happened. We don't know, but we have covered it. But then the day of Pentecost happens and 3,000 people get saved. And then Peter and John show up at the temple, pray for this man in the name of Jesus, and he gets healed. At the temple, you got to think. It's not like it was in the back corner somewhere. It is right in the heart of religious life. It is in the place that those who killed Jesus and said, spread the lies would have said, no, nothing can happen here. But right on their doorstep, a man gets healed and 5,000 people get saved. So they come and arrest him and they threaten him. Don't you talk about this Jesus business anymore. We thought we were done with them. Don't you all go spread it. If you keep spreading it, we will kill you. But that wasn't enough to stop the early church. See, so many people have concerns because we live in a nation that is post-Christian. It's not necessarily a nation that is not Christian. It's just you have a Christian culture with people who don't believe the truth of the Bible. And people are like, well, what are we going to do? Can the church handle it? The church was stronger than Roman steel and nails on a cross. If the church was stronger back then, the church is even stronger today. So it doesn't matter what the culture is like. It doesn't matter what the media says. It doesn't matter what you see throughout this nation, around the world. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is strong. It will be glorious. And I have one thing to say about the church. Long live the church. I saw a news article the other day, and it talked about the aid to the different areas of different cities because of the hurricanes, and it talked about how the church outgave government agencies. Long live the church. People want to talk about the church all day long. They can keep talking, but long live the church. It is the most powerful institution God has created, and so I have to say, long live the church. So what happens when this church gets together and prays? They let Peter and John go, and being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had done, had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. Here's unity again, and they're praying, and said, Lord, you are God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David has said. So they began to quote and stand on the word of God. And then they asked God in verse 30 to stretch forth his hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done in the name of the holy child Jesus. Wait a minute, I thought a miracle done in the name of Jesus got them to this trouble. They didn't say, God, don't back up, do more. We got work to do. We've got a mission to do. We ain't backing up. It doesn't matter what culture says. It doesn't matter what the government says. It doesn't matter what people say. We are the church and we got work to do. And as they prayed, the building began to shake under the power of God. We've seen some moves of the Spirit, but how great is that move of the Spirit that the walls of the building begins to shake under the outpouring of the Holy Ghost? And they're all filled with the Spirit again. What was the result? Chapter 5, verse 12. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they're all with one accord. There's that unity again in Solomon's porch. And of the resters, no man joined himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on the beds of couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. Well, what is this? This is the ministry of Jesus all over again. 
people are bringing sick people who have no chance of being cured to Jerusalem just so Peter's shadow may pass over them. There was nothing magical about Peter's shadow. That's just the three-foot radius about him. So they're saying, if you got close to Peter, you're going to get healed. It didn't say Peter was going to church. It didn't say Peter was going to pray. Peter could have been going to Chick-fil-A. But as soon as they got close to him, he was healed. They were delivered. Why was there such power like that? Or has this chapter called Great Grace? Why was there so much grace, so much power? There was a church that persevered in prayer. And when they prayed that way, there was a reinforcement of heavenly power release. Satan threatened them. He couldn't stop it. So he said, I can't stop it from the outside. Let me see if I can stop it from the inside. Look at Acts chapter 6. Because they have been praying. Tremendous power has been released. Because James 5.16 in the Amplified Classic Edition says that the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer, not prayed one-time prayer, continued prayer, of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. Chapter 6, verse 1, and in those days when the number of the disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. What is going on? There's strife in its division. Based on what? Race. Racism isn't new. You may watch a media report and says it's worse than it's ever been. It's always been here. So Satan's trying to stop the power of God from working, so he stirs up racial strife. What were they going? They're saying, you take care of these people better than you take care of these people. So you give a little bit of extra to the people that look like you, and you give a little bit less to those who don't. So now the whole church, thousands of people, are tweeting and posting and snapping about, hey, did you see what the church did? They didn't take care of so-and-so, but they gave so-and-so more. So now there's strife, there's division, and where there's strife and division, there eventually will be every evil work and a stopping of the power of God. So Peter, the 12, James, they stand up and say, look, this is petty. We're not going to stop praying and preaching the word to handle this pettiness. Here's what we're going to do. Y'all pick out seven people. Y'all hold an election. Here's the qualifications. They got to be filled with the Holy Ghost. They have to be filled with wisdom. They're supposed to have a good report among everybody. Y'all pick seven. We'll lay hands on them. It'll be done. They picked seven people. They laid hands on them, and they took over this business. Why? So there'll be no strife. What was their business? Serving tables. They're the first deacons. They are serving and appoint under the power of God so the power can keep working. There'll be no strife. And as they do that, verse 7 says, and the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Wait a minute, why is that important? The priests were resisting them for the previous few chapters. But now their enemies start getting saved. Because the church persevered in prayer, decided unity, and did not get in racial strife. You have to get over it right now. You will not agree with everybody. You got somebody sitting next to you who has different political beliefs than you. They have different ways of thinking, different ways of raising their children. You may not agree, but we're after unity, not uniformity. Unity, not uniformity. You got people who 
voted for the president. You got people who didn't vote for the president. It's like, well, what are you going to tell them? Unity, not uniformity? He says, well, the president said something that offended me. Okay. Next. So well, was it what he said offensive? Yeah, it was offensive, but I chose not to be offended. Notice the words that said, I chose not to be offended. Just get used to there will be times if you've never been offended before, you must be too. Jesus says offense comes to everybody. Offense is an event. Being offended is a choice. So you can be offended by people you never meet. You can stay in offense or you can move on. Why do I have you guys say it all the time? It's practicing forgiveness. I forgive everybody of everything. It doesn't matter who it is, whether it's someone I know, whether it's someone I don't know. I choose forgiveness because I'm not going to stop the power of God from working in my life. doesn't matter what they do in the Supreme Court, the Congress, the White House. I'm not going to be moved. I'm definitely not getting offended because I choose forgiveness so the power can work. So just be okay right now. You will be offended. A tweet may come out, and it may offend you. Take it to Jesus. I literally take tweets to the throne of God now. I need you to handle this. Why? Should I be overcome and overwhelmed? No. One of the things I taught on a previous Sunday and previous Wednesdays, how this administration goes has nothing to do with who's sitting in that chair. As if the church prays. I talked on a Wednesday night, two Wednesdays ago. I encourage you to listen to the message. Reasons why God puts people in positions. I talked about people that you would have never think that God would put there and he put there. One of the things I taught on Wednesday, and I made this statement, I'll make it again, that I fully believe God wanted President Obama to be president when he was. And I fully believe that God wants President Trump to be president right now. Like, how can he say that in one breath? Go listen to that message. Why? God will put people in authority, and if he has to anoint the wicked for a job, it always means judgment to the church because the church didn't do its job. I'll get quiet on that. But if the church prays, that leader will be a blessing. So you need to pray for all those who are in authority. That's what 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4 says. I don't care if you are a donkey or an elephant or independent, a communist, a socialist. I don't care what your political party may be. You're a Christian first, and you need to pray. You need to lift up your voice to God every single day. Pray for your mayor. Pray for your city council. Pray for your representatives. Pray for your senators. Pray for your congressmen and women. Pray for your governor. Pray for your president. Pray for all those in Congress. Pray for the Supreme Court. Pray for judges and justice. You must pray. Because if not, all you're going to do is tweet and complain. Well, I can't believe this is happening. I can believe it. The church doesn't pray. The church has done a horrible job of praying for presidents for the last 16, 17, 18 years. Horrible. They only decide to pray if it's their side that gets elected. So one side of the church prays when someone gets in office, and the other side quits. Then someone else gets in office, and they start praying, and the other side quits. And they get upset if someone tells preach on praying. Oh, you must like them. Y'all have no idea who I like. I love President Bush. I love President Obama. I love President Trump. I love President Clinton. I love President Carter. I love President Elder Bush. How can you say that? God tells me to love everybody. 
Y'all have no idea who I voted for, and y'all never know. There's only one person in this room knows. It's my wife. She's the only one who can ask me, who are you voting for, and I'll actually tell. Everyone else says, you pray, you follow your heart, and you do what you have in your heart. So I'm not going to stand here, well, you have to vote for this person. If you don't, you're going to hell. Y'all got the Holy Ghost? Listen. Follow your own conscience. Look at what the Word says. You research, you study. Please don't believe Facebook memes. I could put a meme up right now about seeing a unicorn and thousands of people will believe it. And I said the unicorn told, me, unicorn told me that the earth is actually flat and more people will believe me. Please don't be so moved just because someone said something. Because you read something somewhere. Research it out. Pray. Talk to God about it. Then make your decision. What happens if the person you vote for doesn't win? Pray for whoever won. We have to get above being so petty. We have to realize we're spiritual people. That it doesn't matter who's in office, Jesus is still king. I didn't see that the Bible says that if a Republican or a Democrat gets elected, Jesus falls off his throne. Because Jesus is not a Democrat or Republican. I don't follow a donkey or an elephant. I follow the Lamb of God and the Lion of Judah, who is strong enough to deal with any situation. Paul told them to pray for Caesar, and it was Nero who set Christians on fire so he could have dinner light for his parties. He says, pray for him. Honor him. You didn't say tweet about That doesn't mean you have to agree with what they do. I'm not teaching you to agree with whatever you hear comes out of whatever political party. I'm teaching you to pray. You can wholeheartedly disagree. You can wholeheartedly, peacefully protest. But before you go out and protest, yourself needs to pray. You start with prayer and you end with prayer. In prayer, God may give you instructions about what to do in the meantime, but you never stop praying. Because your protest will be limited in its power if there's no prayer. Think about 50 years ago. Dr. King stood but there were people praying. He was a man of prayer. Other people prayed. Things changed because people were not afraid to stand up, and people also prayed. We have to be people who stand for righteousness, who stand for justice, and people who pray. Because if you don't pray, you'll try to stand for justice and righteousness and do it out of your flesh, and you won't have the results you want. You wonder why things aren't changing. Why does this situation seem overwhelming? Why does it seem the army against me seems to grow and grow every day? It's because the church hasn't sent reinforcements. What happens in America is not up to the political parties. It's up to the church. And if the church prays. It doesn't always take the entire church. It could just be pockets of churches across the nation who give themselves to prayer. And as they pray, other churches will waken up and pray. And things will change. But in order for your prayers to be effective, you cannot be offended. I didn't say you have to like stuff. I say you can't be offended. You have to forgive everybody of everything and choose to walk in love no matter what. I don't care what political party they're part of. I'll minister to them. I'll talk to them. I'll sit down with them. Dump a bucket of oil on their head if necessary. 
because, so why won't you to stand up in the pulpit and say, you have to vote for so-and-so? I'm not going to give up my position as prophet and priest to be a spokesperson for a political party. I'm going to stand in my pulpit and say, well, thus saith the Lord. So things in this nation will change. I'm Carrick Butler, and I approve this message. <laughs> Go to Acts chapter 10. So once they put an end to the division, the church grew even more. Acts chapter 10. Verse 1. And there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man, and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and says, what is it, Lord? And he said, your prayers and your alms, your giving, are come up for a memorial before God. In the throne room of God, a memorial, a monument was created by the prayers and the generous giving of Cornelius. You know, we go to places and we look at monuments, but what would it be like to have a monument to your prayer life and your giving in the throne of God? And the angel says, I'm sent now. Why, did the angel, why was the angel released? Because Cornelius prayed and Cornelius gave. Your prayers and your giving release reinforcements. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, and we'll come back to Acts in a moment. Your praying and your generous giving can cause angels to be released. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. What does Paul say here? Look at the first part of the verse. Who goes a warfare any time at his own charges? Go with a warfare, this phrase means to lead soldiers into battle. Chargers means a soldier's pay. So what is Paul saying here when you look at the context of the story? And it says, we never send soldiers out and make them pay for anything and everything. He said, I'm leading soldiers into battle. So he's talking about why they should receive the offering. A good part of Corinthians is about how they responded to giving and not giving. Your giving funds warfare against the enemy. So if you don't pray, there's not reinforcements. If you don't give, there's not reinforcements. People will, why couldn't the church do that? Well, the church didn't pray and the church didn't give. Do you know what Satan will try to do? Especially those people who have decided that they're going to be givers. He will try to mess up your finances because he knows if you increase, you're going to give it to the kingdom. So you'll see stuff start breaking down that never broke down before. You may say, I'm going to be a tither. I'm going to give over and above my tithe. I'm going to give offering. I'm going to sow seed. I'm going to help that orphanage. I'm going to help that ministry. All of a sudden, your car breaks down. All of a sudden, your insurance goes up. All of a sudden, these things are happening. What's happening? Spiritual warfare. Satan doesn't want you to give. Well, what am I supposed to do if he attacks that way? Remember, you have tithers' rights. What are there? Keep a finger here. Go to Malachi 3. 
We talked about the authority of the believer a few weeks ago. You have to stand in your authority and open your mouth and say something. Verse 10 says, bring you all the tithes of the storehouse that there may be meat in my house and prove me now here what says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. He shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed. For you shall be a delightsome land, says the Lord of hosts. So what do you need to do when the enemy is trying to steal from you? That's what he's trying to do. If the thief be found, because he has to pay up double, another place is seven times, and the substance of his house. So what you do is to stop being so natural, says, oh, if this is happens in life, I'm just going to deal with it. You can deal with it and lose out. Or you can open your mouth and say, no, nope, the thief has been found. I have tithers' rights and the authority of Jesus. Satan, you let go of my finances, and I caught everything I lost back to me seven times. Angels, go get it. Bring it to me. You have to open your mouth and say something. I remember I was working somewhere, and I had a boss that wasn't doing what they're supposed to do, and they were making my job assignment not what it's supposed to be. But one of the things I had been taught growing up, my mom worked in corporate America, and she taught all of her sons, says, you have to learn how to remove wicked bosses through prayer. And so I already knew what to do, and the Holy Ghost had already reminded me concerning Mark chapter 4, and so one day I was coming back to where I was saying, I opened my mouth and I said, Satan, you can't keep messing with me. I am a tither. And the situation changed. Stop letting stuff happen. Open your mouth, use your authority, and pray. You're supposed to be supernatural people, not just natural people consumed in the pettiness of low-level living. Paul talked about 1 Corinthians because it was so full of strife and division about who was their favorite preacher, that strife, confusion, every evil work entered in. He says, aren't you behaving as carnal, fleshly, mere men? You're not supposed to be on this petty level. You're supposed to be supermen and superwomen. You're supposed to be walking in such power that when people look at you, they're not sure if they saw you or if they saw Jesus. That is what's available to you, but if you stay on a petty level, you never reach power. You have to leave the pettiness alone and rise up. And that pathway is through faith. That pathway is through prayer. And that pathway is through walking in love. Go to Acts 12. So through your prayers, power is released. Through your giving, we see angels were released. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. That's why one of the things I tell you that when we pray over the Offering, the tithes and offering, you should be saying something. You should be speaking the blessing over your house. That's what they did in the Old Testament when they received the tithes. Moses told them to say something. You should be speaking the blessing over your life, and you should speak it every single day. Stop saying, what am I going to do? Start saying, the Holy Spirit is on the inside of me. He teaches me all things. He'll show me exactly what to do when I need to know it. Change your vocabulary. Stop saying, well, telling your kids, no, we'll never be able to afford that. Yeah, we will. We may not be there today, but one day we're going to do it. Just watch. Your kids can use their faith. Give them a prayer project. They want to go to Disney World? Tell them this is what amount of money costs to go to Disney World. You go pray about that. Now, when it shows up, no, the Holy Ghost wants your kids to go to Disney World, and you take them, you don't spend it on something else. Your kids can pray it in if you give them a prayer project. They know how to use their faith when it benefits them. 
I was a youth pastor in Texas, and we were going to Six Flags. And so the first summer, the first time I took them, it was in the middle of the summer. It was my first time living in Texas. It was blazing hot. Our Six Flags here, at least there's some stuff you can stand under to block the sun. There was nothing to block the sun. It's over, it's like 90, 100 degrees. Like never again will I go to Six Flags in July in Texas. So the next year, it's like, you know what? Let's go in April. But I didn't realize that was a rainy season. So we're driving, two-hour drive. We've got two vans full of teenagers, and it's raining in the city we're in. It's raining the whole way, and it's raining in the city we're going to. There's no refunds on the ticket, and so I'm thinking, man, this is, we're not going to be able to go. We might have to walk around and just come back. And so I'm thinking this, and so I call the other van to see how they're doing, and I hear this roar over the phone. I'm like, what's going on? They said, the kids are praying against the rain. I'm talking about they're not quiet. They're like loud Pentecostals from the turn of the century, yelling in other tongues. Oh, I'm like, okay, well, I'll talk to y'all later. So we get to the park. It's still raining. We get there, walk around. None of the rides are open. So we're walking around, and then the rain stops. All the rides open. We're there for eight hours or more. It's time for us to drive back. We count everybody. Did all the roll call, got them in the car. As soon as we closed the last door, it started raining again. I was like, I didn't do that. Y'all did that. That was your faith. You changed the weather so y'all could have fun. Now, that's a group of 40 teenagers can hold back a storm for eight hours so they can ride some roller coasters. <laughs> what can your faith do? Give your kids a prayer project. You use your faith. Stop telling them we'll never be able to afford this. Say, hey, go pray that money in and we'll be able to afford it. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. So stop talking on such a low level. We're so often living as natural people, stuck in natural things, living on a petty level when God has called us to live in the palace. You could be like Joseph. You've been in the pit. You've been in the prison. But I declare to you, it's palace time. It's time for you to rise up to the place God wants you to be. It's a year of fabulous outpourings, and this year we're launching out to what God has for us. So rise up. Don't stay in the petty level. Walk in the power of God. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw it, it pleased the Jews. He proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Do you know what this scripture lets you know? They were not praying when James was arrested. You got to think. Peter, James, and John, the three closest apostles to Jesus, they're probably thinking nothing can happen to them. Peter, James, and John, nothing can happen. And then Herod cuts off James' head. The church is shook. They've lost one of their ministry gifts, someone who's been with them from the beginning. And then now, for political favor, Herod arrests Peter, and he's going to kill him too. As soon as the holiday's over, Peter's going to die. And the church wakes up and says, we got to pray. So they began to persist in prayer, and it says they pray continually. They're praying around the clock. There's somebody praying all the time. 
And what happened? And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Look, Peter's knocked out. There's two soldiers on each side, and he is asleep. Peter's at peace. He's not moved. It's like whether I go to heaven to be with Jesus or whether I live, I'm not bothered. He's in peace. He's like, Jesus already told him how he would give his life for him and glorify him. So he was cool. He's knocked out. This wasn't a light sleep either. Because, you know, you see when angels appear in Scripture, the light comes, people wake up, they're trembling. The angels tell them, fear not. Peter is asleep. The angel appears in the prison. The light is there. Peter, snoring. Knocked out. Peter, get up. Then it says the angel hit him. How slip do you have to be for an angel to smack you? The angel even smacked him or kicked him. Dude, get up. Oh, it's an angel. Get your clothes on. Time to go. And what happens? He got up. The chains fell off his hands. He walked towards the prison door. The prison door opens. He keeps walking. No one sees him and the angel. Walk to the big prison doors. They open. They get to the gate of the city. It opens. And it says after he walks through the gate of the city, the angel disappears. And he finally realizes that this is real and not a vision he was seeing. So what goes? He goes to a house where people will gather praying and he knocks on the door. One of the girls answers the door and sees Peter and she freaks out. But Peter is here. Peter is here. No, he's not here. We're praying so he'll be here. No, no, Peter's outside. It's like, no, you're crazy. It's like, no, I tell you, I saw Peter outside. She's so excited she doesn't open the door. They said, nah, it must be his angel. They were confident. They were praying angels were released, but it made more sense to them that there was an angel outside. And they were standing there praying. Peter kept knocking. She kept saying, it's Peter. They opened the door, and there is Peter. Why was Peter released? The church prayed, persisted in prayer. 1 Corinthians 13.1 tells us, Paul says, though I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, wait a minute. There are times when you pray in the Holy Ghost, you're praying out angelic assignments and orders. 1 Corinthians 14.2 talks about when you pray in the Spirit or you pray in an unknown tongue, you're praying out or speaking out mysteries, which is divine secrets, plans, and purposes. When you pray in the Holy Ghost. Romans 8, 26 teaches us that when we pray on the Spirit, the Holy Spirit prays through us, we're praying out the perfect will of God. Anytime you take time to pray in the Holy Ghost, you're praying the perfect will of God, and there are times you'll tap into a flow of the Spirit, and angels will receive assignments for your life and for your community and for whatever you're praying for. Hebrews 1, 14 says, angels are ministering spirits sent to minister unto us who are heirs of salvation. They're sent to minister to us and minister for us. But they minister to and for the praying church. Because Psalm 103 teaches us, he talks about the angels in that psalm, says they excel in strength, they obey all of God's commandments, they hearken to the voice of his word, and they do all his pleasure. Says they hearken to the voice of his word. They didn't say they hearken to God's voice. Says they hearken to the voice of God's word. So whoever puts the word of God in their mouth, the angels listen to. So when you're praying in the Holy Ghost, it's Roman 8, he's praying the perfect will of God, which is the word of God, angels get assignments. Reinforcements are released. If you take time and persist and persevere, and pray in the Holy Ghost.
I'm not just talking about, oh, I prayed in five seconds at church, so I'm good till next Sunday. No, you got to pray in the Holy Ghost every day. If this is not part of your life, start at five minutes. You get that? Man, I can pray in the Holy Ghost for five minutes like nothing. Up it. Keep increasing it. And there will be times when you just you get stuck in traffic. Instead of cussing out the driver in front of you, just pray in the Holy Ghost. Stop complaining. But Atlanta traffic is Atlanta traffic. You already know somewhere, sometime, you're going to be stuck in traffic. Take some time. Says, you know what? Since I'm stuck, I might as well pray in the Holy Ghost. Make that part of your life. Taking time to pray in the Holy Ghost. It's not always you have to be loud and screaming in other tongues. Now, please, if you're in a private place, have some decorum and pray in the Holy Ghost under your breath. You know, there's times I'll go out and I'll walk around and I'm praying in the Holy Ghost, but no one knows what I'm doing. I have my earphones in. So they just think I'm singing whatever song. So I'm walking around praying for people in the Spirit. Things are changing. No one knows I'm praying. But God knows. Angels know. And things are changing. You must be people who give yourself to prayer. Go to Romans 8, 26. Let's wrap this up. So we see why the angel was released. But why did Peter's chains fall off? Why did the doors open? Romans 8, 26, likewise, or in the same way, the Spirit also helps or grabs a hold of our infirmities, our weaknesses, or our limitations. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. That's a limitation. That's a weakness. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know, everybody loves verse 28, but they don't do verse 26 and 27. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for those who love God, those who are called, and those who pray in the Holy Ghost. So what happens? As that church was praying in the Holy Ghost, somebody was praying, someone was interceding, and an angel was released. Someone was praying and interceding, and those chains fell off. Someone was praying and interceding, and the first door opened. Someone else was praying, and the second door opened. Someone else was praying, and the big door opened. What happened? They were working together in prayer, and through the Holy Ghost, God gave each of them assignments, and as they were praying, everything that was needed to happen was released. All things were working together for their good. But that happens for our church that gives themselves to prayer and perseveres in prayer. We don't take vacations from Jesus. Don't take vacations from faith. Don't take vacations from prayer. Pray even when you're on vacation. Pray at the beach if you got to. Pray in the mountains if you got to. Never take a break from the spiritual disciplines you know you need. Because not only will it change your life, it'll change someone else's. Let's go to Acts 28. This is how the church released reinforcements. They were in unity. They prayed, persevered in prayer. They gave. Acts chapter 28, verse 30 and 31. Paul is a prisoner under house arrest. 
If it was modern day, Paul would have a little anklet on that would be beeping if he goes too far. And Paul dwelt in his two years in his own hired house and received all that came unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. This is before social media. This is before the internet. He is stuck in his house. You would think that his influence is limited because he's stuck in a house. He's under house arrest. He is a prisoner. So what would this prisoner, even though his location is pretty nice, what would he ask for? Go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Ephesians 6, 18. Go ahead and read it for the sake of time. Just praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me. That utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds or chains. That therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. He is chained up in this house, but it says, pray for me that I may have utterance and I may open my mouth to speak boldly as I ought to speak. Colossians chapter 4 verse 3, he writes this letter from that house as well. He says, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds or in chains. So he's stuck in his house. He says, but pray that God will open us a door. How effective can a door be if you are stuck in a house and you can't leave? How effective can his ministry be? So he says, pray for me that I may speak boldly and pray for me that I would have an open door. Do we see the results of doors in Scripture? Yeah, 1 Corinthians 16, 8 and 9 tells us that an effectual door was open in Ephesus. So Paul says, I'm going to stay here longer because God opened a door for me here. Well, what happened when a door was open in Ephesus? Take your time because I'm not going to go through it today. But later on, go to Acts chapter 19 and read that chapter. You'll see what happened because there was a door. Paul arrives find some disciples that knew a little bit about Jesus but didn't know much, and they get filled with the Holy Ghost, they get baptized. And then Paul goes into that place, and he begins to preach. And then he leaves the temple, he doesn't preach there anymore. He rents out a local school, and during the day when they don't have classes, he teaches theirs for hours, teaching and arguing the things concerning the kingdom of God to the point that everyone in that time of Asia, which is considered modern-day Turkey, heard the gospel. Everybody in that area learned about Jesus because of one open door. The name of Jesus was suspected. It was reverence. Miracles were done. It said it got to a point that miracles, signs, and wonders, special miracles were done by the hands of Paul. So not just normal miracles, Paul, no. Luke called them special miracles, and Luke was a doctor. He had seen miracles before, but he said, no, no, these were special miracles. And it said it got to the point that people would take cloth or rags of Paul, and if he prayed for them, if they touched them, the power would go into them, and they would take that cloth to those who were in need, and if they were sick, they would be healed. If they were possessed, they would be delivered. There was nothing special about the cloth, just like there was nothing special about Peter's shadow. Some commentary says that it was like Paul's turban. And when Paul was done working, he would take off his turban, he'd leave it there, and people would go, they were allowed to take off a piece and take it to people. There's nothing special about Paul's turban. Fellas, that's the equivalent of your do-rag. You take your do-rag off, 
You lay it down, somebody comes, takes a piece of your do-rag, and they take it to someone who is sick and they're healed. They take another piece of the do-rag to someone who's possessed and they're delivered. It's nothing special about the do-rag, but it's the power that's in the person. There was a praying church that got an open door, power was on the man of God, and went into that cloth and it healed them. That was the effect of an open door. So Paul is stuck in a house in Rome. Pray that I have an open door here in Rome. I may be stuck in this house, but if God gives me an open door, it'll be everything I need. He's not just stuck in his house, he's chained to a soldier. You know, they have the different rotations. So you know he's preaching to every soldier that comes to the house. When you read Philippians 1 and Philippians chapter 4, you realize that every soldier knew about Paul. That was 10,000 soldiers in that group heard about the gospel. What also happened? It says the word of God filled the entire city. He stuck in his house, but God gave him an open door. The entire city heard about God, heard about the gospel. To a point there are people in Caesar's house who lived there who were saved. Why? There was an open door. Why? Because the church prayed. And Paul even said in Philippians chapter 119, he says, I know this will turn to my salvation, my deliverance, because of your prayers and your supply of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. So not only if you pray, well, I have this open door, but they're going to set me free. And they did. At the end of the two years, they let Paul go. So he went back and preached to more churches. He wasn't martyred for years later until he was ready to go and says, it's time for me to go. It's time I'm ready to get out. But he wasn't done yet. So he said, pray for an open door. And I said, if you keep praying, they're going to set me free. And they did. Because a church persisted and persevered in prayer. Stand to your feet. When the church perseveres in unity, generosity, and prayer, open doors are granted. Liberty comes to captives. And the reinforcements of power and angels are released on their behalf. Be praying, people. Persevere in prayer. Go to the podcast, listen to these messages to build your faith in your prayer life. Because you make a difference every time you pray. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed in prayer. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.